Hello everyone, my name is Nana Oforiata. I'm the Clinical and Custom Content Editor here at the CND. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of our Clinical Podcast. Today I am very, very lucky to have with us Fred Pierce. Fred is an LGBTQ plus activist at Kent and has also had a wonderful opportunity of working with me in the pharmacy. So I know Fred very well, and I'm glad that Fred has decided to join us today. Today, we're going to be talking about trans issues and the access of trans patients to healthcare and pharmacy in particular. So Fred, without further ado, welcome. Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So Fred, just a quick topic. If you just tell us about what you're doing at the moment, what your role and your involvement in the LGBTQ. Okay, yeah, so I set up in my town the Hanbei LGBT Society. We've just created events and had a, created our own pride event last year. It's never had a pride before, so it was a big battle. And more importantly for me, it was led by a trans man, which is incredibly important at the moment because I believe, obviously, that trans rights are going to be pretty much on the top of our list right now. I myself am a cisgender person, so born male. I do identify myself as gender fluid, so I dip in between depending on day, etc. Which is really important now that we are raising the issues of trans, especially now with several rights such as the, the Gender Recognition Act and banning of conversion therapy, which are very hot topics now in government. Yes. Uh, cause quite a lot of polarisation uh, from many different areas. But uh, and one of the people that are trying to help set up a central Kent Pride movement because we have a lot of brides in Kent, but there isn't a specific community that we can all tap into and and to all sort of come in as one so that we can all help each other. Because especially now, we need a safe, sort of safe spaces, particularly this area, because it is quite marginalised. So yeah, that's pretty much what I do, which is a lot at the moment, but do my best. And he works in a pharmacy as well. Yes, <laughs> five days a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so yes <laughs> so i've worked with friends fred and i can say fred is very impressive but it's really important for me that we had this conversation we have this podcast because myself as a community pharmacist i mm. have been very aware of my lack of knowledge when it comes to dealing with sexuality and with trans people and with people with different types of sexualities and genders yeah. and i think working with you i did learn a lot and it did open my mind and it did give me access to a lot of different views. So I thought it would be really important for us to sit down and to talk because I think it's important as a pharmacist, you are in a position in a community where you are accessing all the community. So you do need the tools in order to do that. The one thing I wanted us to start with is what do you think are the issues or the barriers that people from the LGBTQ or trans people in particular face when it comes to accessing healthcare? Well, there's lots. I think it starts really from the lack of training that's in the NHS, even from the very bottom of of GPs. You know, there are major issues that we have right now. I think transactual, which is one of the biggest trans 
organisations at the moment does say that, you know, there's 41% of trans people. That said, that healthcare staff lacked understanding of specific trans health needs, that is, and quite a lot of them were refused as well healthcare because they were part of the LGBT community. You know, this is 2023, which is not good. It is really not good. Just as a healthcare professional, the idea of refusing Mm. someone healthcare is wrong in itself. Yeah. It's horrendous, yeah. absolutely horrendous. And then a lot of it stems from sort of the first contact, you know, the misgendering. I think misgendering is one of the biggest issues where you assume somebody's gender, but in reality they might not be. You know, I know people that have probably been in transition maybe 10 years now. This happened two years ago, I'll give you an example. I'm one of my trans friends, um, trans male, been trans male for 10 years now, travelling on an ambulance. The ambulance team knew what gender they were as soon as they got into the hospital didn't know what gender they were was continually calling them and couldn't understand from the records thinking that obviously used to be female now male keep on debating amongst themselves this is a period of eight hours which you can imagine was a really horrendous experience for that individual and then if it wasn't for the ambulance crew that stepped in went a you cannot misgender b this person's been in transition for over 10 years and see, this is no way to treat a human being. You know, this is a person and this is how you've categorised this person for the last eight hours. I think for me, when it comes to misgendering, and like yeah. I said, definitely do correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, like you yeah go, go for it, go for it. When it comes to misgendering, I think it's the same like, if you assume you make an ass out of you and me. Yeah. It's, there's not getting it wrong, but once you're corrected to continuously get it wrong, it's yeah. ignorant. We'd rather you'd ask than... Yes, yes. Say the, like, if you're not sure, ask. But I've been in positions where I've, I've assumed and the person's been like, oh, actually, this is my gender. And I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. Well, this is your gender. Yeah. It does nothing to me for me to use the right, the gender for the person. That's how I... It takes nothing from me. But it hurts that person if I intentionally keep misgendering them so as a person in general you should but as a healthcare professional you really don't want to be putting your patient in any kind of distress no because it can lead to mental health and physical health problems you know i've i've known patients that you know have really suffered to you know in that period where they they're really not sure of what gender they are what person they are and you you see some people i've met have had sort of self-harm you know, and have been for years and years and years. And then to be on the NHS system and not have their name changed because they're still stuck in the system for sort of one or two years. And it's really, really, it's got to the point now where I I really feel some, in some extent, quite physically sick that I'm continually having to apologise. I'm really sorry that the doctors still haven't changed your name, you know, even though they've been legally changed with documentation. We clear. find that in the pharmacy where we've changed their name and then they were still getting prescriptions with the misgendered um, name on there. It, it, you know, every time it's guttural, isn't it? You know, then obviously there's access to the gender identity clinic. So uh, to the specialist treatment given to uh, if people want to change their gender. Uh, there are only four community based clinics in the country. And then four. the four, yeah. As a result of this, you're expected to wait up to three to four years to be on these waiting lists. 
Yeah, <laughs> I bet you didn't realise that. The moment they say that none of the GDCs meet the standard of care set up by the NHS. So, you know, when you have to have a legal right that somebody doesn't wait longer than a certain amount of weeks, it's, it's over the 18-week threshold. You know, these are big, big issues. You know, yeah, I know that trans, trans people are a marginalised community and, and, and the press really do not help. I mean, the, the stats are there. It's all, it's all, it's all on Stonewall and it, it, to the point that so many trans people are turning to self-medicating. I think from a clinician's point of view, I think what we need to basically get our head around is Never mind the prejudice of the whole situation. Mm. It's the impact it has on the person. On the patient, yeah. Yeah, so whatever your opinions are, is the impact it has on the patient that should matter. Exactly. You might just see it as, oh, I haven't changed your name, or oh, I've got... Is that person's mental health? And knowing the education that we've all had to do about mental health recently and over the past years is we now have nothing to hide behind because we know the impact of mental health issues on patients. So it's about dealing with it before it gets to that. I think in that, I remember myself when I was in practice having a patient come to me. And I think I was we've been discussing this before and saying they're a female transitioning to male. They haven't reached the age where they can get trans legally trans do the transition. So they're having to use binding. And I remember being told this and not having a clue, first of all, what binding was, not having a clue how I could help the patient, secondly, and also not knowing where I can signpost the patient to. So for me, those were the inadequacies in my training at that point. What do you think are the other kind of inadequacies that as a healthcare professional, we might have when it comes to dealing with the trans community? First of all, it's training. I think that's the first thing that needs to happen. I mean, we're told to do in pharmacy several training courses a year. I think we need to seriously consider putting training in for trans people uh, and and even to have a, a basic trans inclusion training to give to all medical staff for trans people's needs. You know, particularly female to male, they're given a lot of testosterone, often gels yeah. for hormone therapy. But we now know it's taken 10 years to understand that this treatment does cause blood clotting. And we're now going to have a series of patients that have been on this for several years that have now got, you know, other health conditions as a result of using these. So that's something to raise. As pharmacists, we tend to just focus on the drugs when it comes to yeah. dealing with so. We see a patient taking hormone therapy. We see the amount of therapy. We go, oh, we know what this is for. Or we see a patient taking testosterone. We look at the prescription. We go, oh, we know what it's for. Whereas with other conditions like depression, um, diabetes, we know we can speak to that patient about the medication they're taking, go through what the side effects are. We tend to not be comfortable doing that when it comes to transitioning patients. And I think that's where you hit the, um, the nail on the head. It comes to training. Um, it's not something that we're taught to do, so we don't feel comfortable doing it, and therefore we don't do it. And by not doing it, we're basically saying to that patient, this is not a condition that we have to deal with. Where it is, they're still our patient. So yeah, I, I do like the idea about like having specific inclusion training for trans people. It's not just trans, it's the wider non-binary spectrum as well. It's And the intersex, you know, you can't forget the intersex. There are some people that are born with both sexual organs. So This is the kicker, really. Where do we go? So 
as a healthcare professional, I have a patient in front of me. I know I don't have the tools. Where can I go, first of all, to get that training? Okay, well, this is the thing. I think that we need better training because at the moment you're looking online. There isn't any more specific training around trans people's health needs. Not proper and not embedded within both the NHS and the wider NHS and the services like pharmacy. And I think that, especially now, I think it is very important because, you know, trans people and the non-binary and the wider LGBT spectrum is protected under the Equality Act of 2010. So you cannot discriminate this community and wider community in a healthcare setting because it is protected under our laws. So that in mind, we now need to, you know, remember that, you know, these, even in the wider spectrum, particularly non-binary, they do not identify as being male or female. So we need to ask discreetly about things like preferences and, you know, and, and even things like allocating people to male or female wards. This is the other thing <laughs> that we need to be, because some trans people might find it really uncomfortable to be in a ward with particular sex because this is not it's not just about sex it's about gender as well you know you can't have the two and one are not the same you know and that's what we need to be clear you know because some trans men and non-binary people might feel dysphoric you know especially when it comes to chest and binding especially yeah. in the hospital ses- setting and i think this is you know this is these are things that are quite important and things like binders there are things that we can do to ensure that that eventually hopefully goes into pharmacy to use things like kinesiology tape and you know they are designed for injuries they're not designed for binding because what's happening is certain patients are binding so tight that they start breaking their ribs because i've seen it happen i know trans people that have done this over several years and now have serious adverse conditions because of the fact they've been binding so much because they haven't had the materials you know, we can do it online. There are things you can go online and I'm working, particularly in my local area, to see what we can do in terms of binders and the right supports with a local uh, lingerie and business. So it's even doing the little things like that in, in your local business. You know, my group, the, the society, have tried really hard at the moment to make my town particularly more inclusive to ensure that trans people and the wider spectrum are accepted and treated in a safe space and i think that we need to sort of use the very subtle you know like i said with the training and with these other items to ensure that they are um better included in our wider medical spectrum i mean i accept the work your group do and i've like i've been following you for ages and i know you guys are doing amazing work um but i think what you're talking about having embedded training Mm. that shouldn't be something that should be on you basically no. it should be something that as the healthcare providers and as healthcare exactly. we have to take the training on ourselves and i think what you've basically said there is that there's a gap in the market where i think you and i should really exploit and start making training <laughs> training products for pharmacists when it comes to these there you go you're on CMP, so you're in the right place so we might be able to do that um but in the meantime is there any organizations What I will say to that is make sure you're listening to trans people. It needs to come from the very community that it it is representing because this is going to sound rude to the the community. I'm quite privileged. You know, I'm a white cisgender person. You know, I haven't had to have the experience that that trans people have gone to go through. And I I hear it all the time when I speak to trans people. You know, no offence, but as I Uh, keep saying, you know, 
everything that I do is for your community and I'm being the best dad that I possibly can to, 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 to signpost and to do my best to ensure that your rights are, are valid and you are listened to and you are going to get everything that you need to get, but it's going to take time. It's not something that happens overnight. And absolutely. And I think like you're more aware of most people that I have had to learn a lot. And there's been times where you've just been like, no, no, no. <laughs> and being told no is absolutely fine with me. But until this is there, is there any organizations where pharmacists can just go? Well, there are facts and there are packs that you can find. So there's, so for children, particularly for families that are going through advice that they need mermaids is a charity obviously they're they're really good at that sort of inclusion then you've got organizations such as transactual which have got a huge library research facts health they've got packs as well to, to tell what, what advice you can give uh, if you go to gps so that that's a really important i think first website to go through and also it, it also tells you about transphobia and how to deal with comments or if people say things in particular in the healthcare setting like i've used some of the really important guidance from that website to ensure to steer conversations in the right way rather than in in, in a way that's going to cause people to oppose or to be aggressive because there are some organizations out there at the moment campaigning against trans people I think when it comes to a lot of healthcare providers, it's more the fear of what we don't know rather than trying to be intentionally prejudiced or anything like that. I mean, yeah, it's the world. There are bad people out there. Uh, but I think it's basically not knowing and being scared of getting it wrong. And yeah. what I found in my experience is you're going to get it wrong. Just accept yeah. you're going to get it wrong. That way, when you're told you're wrong, you don't need to be defensive. You don't need to be, you don't need to challenge because be ready to be wrong. Yeah, because there's, there's other things as well. I think that one of the other things that's important is you must never make assumptions about your patients. You know, like anybody else, trans people, they may be disabled, you know, they may be neurodiverse, you know, they may come from a religious background or an ethnic background or racial backgrounds or, or may have a range of sexual orientations. You know, they may be trans, but they may also be lesbian. They may also be gay. So you can never assume. The other thing I would mention also is the fact that the NHS has just changed last year for the first time, the cervical cancer screenings, because up until now, it's only been women. Now they have to now include trans men. Oh, perfect. Because they've been, had their name changed, their yeah. medical records haven't updated. So there yeah. are quite a number of trans men that uh, don't have the notification of had cervical smear test and as a result of it i've got cervical cancer so they had to go through the process of re-registering as a female so you can imagine how much anxiety and how many problems that has caused so it is good to practice to maintain that community that, that they should really be still going for those screenings and i think that particularly gps need to flag patient records because the risk is still high, you know, and it's it's kind of one of those things that isn't talked about and should be talked about. Really, yeah. I mean, I like the transactional, and just so you guys know, all the websites that Fred has mentioned will be in the blurb underneath. So please do go have a look. How can we, so for me as pharmacist, I'm just going to give a scenario. If I have a trans patient coming into yep. my pharmacy and coming into how should I, 
behave to make that person sing. So you just treat them like any other human being. It's just as that, you know, you, if you're unsure about the gender or unsure about, ask for their pronouns. It's not difficult. What are your pronouns? Very mm-hmm. simple thing to say. You know, you don't necessarily have to straight away go, oh, are you male or female? That's rude. You know, how would you like to be identified? It's as simple as that. And then proceed. There's no harm in asking. If We'd rather you ask. You know, I go by all pronouns. <laughs> so <laughs> it just, that's the very basic thing. And then straight away, right, that's, that's how I need to deal with this person oh. at this time. You know, and I've noticed some people and some organizations have got pronouns on their badges. So you can also go that route, in, particularly in staff. Do we then start using and adopting pronoun badges? even to protect our own stuff, you know, because you're going to find that you, you will have trans people working in pharmacies. Absolutely right there. Yeah. It's basically just ask. And as a healthcare professional, that's one thing that you learn to do anyway. Um, it's just asking. It's just a checklist, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Fred, before we go, I just wanted to ask, is there anything else you'd like to say or anything you'd like to add that you think we should know? Yes. So there is access for free sexual health clinics, sorry, test kits <laughs> um, that you can get online, particularly for the under 25s. You can get this anytime. You can get it sent to your house. You don't necessarily have to go to a GUN clinic because there are a lot of people, particularly in the wider LGBT community, that have real issues with going into these clinic you know sexual health clinics so you can get that sent to your house this this covers chlamydia gonorrhea hiv and i think it also tests hepatitis so it includes like a fingerprint swap urine throat rectal and they will test you for those it's also available to the whole community at any age as well so it's really important particularly in kent and medway it's they're just obviously merged so you can access that anytime so that's on the sh uk website so all you need to do is set up an account and then you can get it sent to your house and you can get the test results within a week so it's really important Fred, thank you so much for talking with us it's been an education as usual i'll see you in the pharmacy again to continue my education yeah um, anytime you know that been a pleasure having you and for everyone listening thank you very much for tuning in if you have any questions or you have any comments please feel free to leave a question and comments below we will be pursuing this series and be trying to do more training materials on it so if there's anything you'd like to know please feel free to leave your comment and your questions a big thank you to you fred thank you, <laughs> thank you and goodbye to everyone <laughs>